suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 202 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. We're a couple of days out from the election. It's the 14th of May, 2019. It's my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Glenn. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday, Glenn. Mm. If you're listening to us for the first time, we talk about news and politics, sex and religion, all the sorts of things you're not supposed to talk about at a dinner party, but are the fun things to talk about. I am your host, Trevor. The <laughs> What am I? Yes, I'm the Iron Fist. Although some... <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you guys try and take that off me. Uh, with me, uh, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. And to the joy of all of his fanboys, the Dwarf Man. Ooh, hi, guys. I'm back. How are you all? <laughs> he's just polished off a beer before we've even started, claiming to have been particularly thirsty. So he's well lubricated. Who knows what hardline comments will come out of the Dwarf Man. We've got an interesting episode coming up. We've got, obviously, we're going to talk about the election and things to do with that. And then there's, I've got quite a few sort of moral dilemma questions Little uh, things coming out of the Falau case and other uh, things along those lines. Um, sort of remember we had our big cake, um, the bakery discussions about what you know had to be, what could be done or not done, and we've got something along those lines has popped up. So we'll have a few um, thought experiments and ethical dilemmas in the second part. But in the you know, before we get to that. Election coming up. Scott, you, you love elections <laughs> and you just must be beside yourself. I do uh, love elections. You fall, hard to fall asleep at night for you? Uh, so. It is a little bit hard to fall asleep <laughs> for sure. Um, well, the latest uh, prediction is from uh, insiders, which I really liked this one because they'd gone through and they'd added up all the seats in the House of Representatives. They'd gone and looked at the individual uh, odds that the bookies had placed on it and they divided them up between coalition and independent and Labor. And their prediction is that the election will end up being 81 seats to the Labor Party, 64 to the Coalition and six going to independents, which is not a decisive crushing victory to the ALP that you would have expected three or four months ago, but it is still a solid majority. And it is also what it it is demonstrating to me anyway is that a lot of these seats that are going to go to the independents, they are basically being pinched from the Liberal side rather than the Labor side. And what that says is, and you've got of those eight seats, I believe it is, that have got high-profile independents running in them, all eight of them have called for action on climate change. And what that says to me, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is that if you had a government that was Liberal that was actually doing something sensible on climate change, it would win the election. So, so if they'd stuck with Malcolm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they'd stuck instituted with Malcolm. his ideas. Exactly. Before he changed his mind. On Before he changed his mind. <laughs> well, he was forced to change his mind by the right wing of the party. Mm. The right wing of the party refused to move with him, so he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't lead them uh, and, and 
an ununited seat, uh, side. So he was forced to walk away from the National Energy Guarantee. Could be. I mean, young people, and we're going to talk about it later, but the millennials are now mm, the biggest voting, voting bloc. bloc in the country. Yeah. So they're bigger than the baby boomers. And, and they care about the environment. Indeed. Mm. Mm. So they're prepared to pay a price for environmental because they're the ones who are going to be living with the mm. consequences, mm. whereas the... Bloody the baby boomers, will, boomers be couldn't give a stuff. Yeah. They'll be gone. Yeah. <laughs> they'll be gone. They don't care. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, We're looking at you too, Paul. One. one <laughs> so unfair. Yeah. One of the uh, things that just got me in the last couple of days was that uh, Morrison at the launch of the campaign, which was made one week prior to the actual election date, hmm. which was so that they can continue to get Funding. Exactly, and that's what they've always done. Because once done. you launch your campaign, you're no longer entitled to all the travel expenses. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I didn't that, know that. Yes, so that's why the campaign launches of both parties are so late in the campaign. Mm-hmm. So I often could, wondered why that was. Yeah, so there you go. There's the reason. He announced, I think it was at that launch, about the, the first home buyers scheme that he's come up with. Yeah, which <laughs> no, it, it's... Have you ever heard of a more ludicrous policy in your life? Well, I mean, I was listening to a conservative web uh, podcast the other morning. Mm-hmm. It was on Monday morning, actually, and they said, oh, you know, you could tell it was a very bad idea because Bill Shorten jumped on it straight away <laughs> and said, yes, I'm, I'm for it. Mm. Um, you know, and... Here's the deal, dear listener. We better explain it. Mm. So uh, if theoretically at the moment a first-home buyer needs a 20% deposit... Which is what? Generally speaking, they need unless they're going to pay um, what do they call mortgage it? insurance. Mortgage yep. insurance, which means when if they default, yep. the bank is covered, not the buyer. Yes. The bank is covered, yeah. and yet the buyer pays for that insurance. Even then, you're probably going to need a higher deposit than five percent. Mm. What the Morrison government has said for home first home buyers is they will provide a guarantee to the banks. They're saying allow a first home buyer to buy on 5% deposit and if they fail, then we will make up that 15% uh, of uh, loss or component of your loss and so to encourage banks to sort of lend on a 5% deposit. Am I right there, Scott, more or less? Mm-hmm. That's what it is? That's really? So, so basically it's a scheme to encourage first home buyers to buy a house on a 5% deposit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Which sounds they're, like they're, a recipe for recipe, high risk. It's a recipe it? for disaster. You're locking disaster, in young it? millennials into a loan that is going to be impossible to re- near, nearly impossible to repay or dangerously mm. highly geared that they can't repay. And this is the whole point. If you've got 95% of your value locked up in a mortgage, if you've got a correction in the property market, which we're already seeing in New South Wales and Victoria, then you end up in negative equity territory very quickly. And this is, I think, very irresponsible of the Morrison government to do this. We've already had, you know, this wasn't the first Banking Royal Commission. We've had banking inquiries and all that sort of stuff in the past, and I remember them very clearly being very critical of the banks loaning money on 5% deposits. Mm-hmm. And now you've got the government saying you can under, we're going to underwrite yeah, it. It makes no sense. It's a terrible scheme to encourage risky poor. lending on the bank's part <clears throat> and to encourage... Risky borrowing. Risky borrowing on the part of the millennials to overextend themselves. You know, this from a government that, you know, 
purports to leave it all up to the market forces as much mm. as possible and, and doesn't want, you know, a wage increase for uh, the uh, um, childcare workers because that would be interfering in a market process, yet they're happy to interfere in the housing market well, in all sorts of ways. Already with the first homeowners um, bonus, didn't they, yeah, years ago? Yeah, there's all sorts of interference. And that, yeah. that inflated the market. That's so, a terrible thing. So all this is going to do is just bad news all around except for one group, baby boomers who already own properties. Because they're going to sell their properties because, at an inflated price. Because now there'll just be more buyers on the market. Yeah, and uh, somebody suggested that would yeah. put a floor under the yeah. market as well. Yeah, Although somebody I heard talking about it said it may only eventuate to maybe 10,000 people across Australia. Well, if 10,000 people um, are ruined by this, then it's 10,000 people that shouldn't have been. It's a terrible policy. It's yeah. just one of the worst things. And the fact that the Labor Party jumped on board within hours Minutes, yeah. <laughs> and said, okay, we'll do it too, was on the one hand incredibly... They threw caution totally to the wind, didn't they? They didn't even look at the details. Yeah. They just said, yep, we'll do that. Because the, it's to because take the wind out of their sails. There is no yeah. details on yeah. this. Yeah. It's just been... It was described this morning on Two Grumpy Hacks that I was listening to by one of them. I can't remember which one of them. He said that um, it was as if... He said this was a thought bubble, not a properly thought out policy. And it is reckless that the Labor opposition jumped on it and said, yes, we'll do that. But they did that because they realised that it was a populist policy that they didn't want to be left behind, so they had no choice but to jump on it. It was clever politics, but it was a terrible policy. Absolutely it was. It was ridiculous. Hopefully they'll find some excuse to not do it if they win and get into power because that's a terrible policy. Anyway. Well, this is the, the other thing too is that I'd already heard another podcast I was listening to when I was riding home on Monday afternoon uh, that they were suggesting that because the property prices have already come off so much in Sydney and Melbourne that it's probably not going to be necessary, you know, that people that were able to save up 5% could probably get Oh, the prices I don't think have come down that much. So that well, somebody... I reckon they've come down 20%. Right. 20? Yeah. Right. But if you only had 5% of... $500,000 and now you're going to have... Yeah, I know. You, you've, still got to, you've still got to get a hell of a lot more money together. Yeah. You know, I don't, think it's going to, I don't think it's going to evaporate the problem, mm. but it is one of those things that you can just think to yourself, well, it's probably not necessary. Mm. But what's the sort of average, if there is an average price for a property in Sydney or Melbourne? I, I believe in Sydney it's, it's around $800,000 to a million dollars. I think so. Mm. It's a pretty average sort of house these days. It's frightening. Mm. Mm. And you're going to allow people to borrow on 5%. Goodness me. Don't fall for it, millennials out there. <laughs> you are being, if you think this is one Don't for worry, you guys, you've listening. just been screwed over again yeah. by the baby boomers. Don't, Seriously. Don't take them up don't, on it. If, you know, it's a pain in the ass, but you just got to sit there and you've got to save up to you get your 20% deposit. You know, you know, I did it. It's a pain in the ass, but it can be done. Yeah. And anyway, Scott, you listed six names on the Senate paper. Mm-hmm. And it was very bloody hard to I, do it because there were a lot of right wing nutters. I, I've looked at the <laughs> Queensland Senate ballot paper. It is frightening the number of nutters on this on this ballot paper. The very first three on the Queensland Senate 
Rise Up Australia, Pauline Hanson's One Nation, and United Australia Party, mm-hmm. one, two, three. Number five, involuntary medication objectors, so the anti-vaxxers and anti-fluoride party. You've got Fraser Anning. We've got Australian Better Families, which is a right-wing men's rights group. Australian Conservatives, which is Corey Bernardi. Labor DLP, which is uh, yeah, the Irish right Catholic yeah. faction of the Labor Party. <laughs> Catters Australia Party, the Great Australia Party, another right-wingers. Sustainable Australia, well, right-wing anti-immigration. Love Australia or leave. We don't have to right say any more. Um, <laughs> shooters, fishers and farmers. Group X, who I looked up and based on their preferences, another right-wing party. Liberal Democrats, who are Leo, who are sort of um, libertarian nutbags. And Citizens Electoral Council, who, again, based on their preferences, another right-wing party. Like... You are not. I've, you I've, didn't say anything about Catter's Australian Party. Uh, Come on, how do you characterise them? After the Catholics, they're in there. Catter's Australia Party will. No, you didn't say anything about them. Oh, okay. Gun toting <laughs> nutters. <laughs> they so, wear nice hats. So, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 nutters on the Senate sheet as opposed to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Nine, ten, that would be you know acceptable, and I include the Liberal National Party in that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take your time over that Senate paper, dear listener, and don't be fooled by some of those names. It does give you a bit of perspective, doesn't it, on the LNP? They do look quite human <laughs> in comparison with some of the others. When you compare them to Fraser Anning's Conservative National Party. You know, that is a real frightening outfit. Yeah, but they do you, do you think really they'll get anyone elected? No, no, I don't. Well, they might get Fraser Reading. Well, no, I don't think I, they'll I, get I'm just back. amazed that they can get so many candidates. You know, like I'm amazed that that Palmer can get so many candidates. He buys them, doesn't he? I, but I, I, have these people no soul? Like, no, apparently not. But look, I saw a video this afternoon and it was somebody else put it, this video up on a Facebook page that I regularly look at mm. and it was a video of Fraser Anning um, welcoming one of his candidates to the fold and it was for the seat uh, that Pauline Hansen originally ran in. What was that in around Ipswich? What's the, I forget the name of the seat now. Blair, Oxley, isn't it? Oxley, Oxley. Yeah. yes. So he's standing for Oxley for Fraser Anning's, what are they called, the Conservative National Party or something? Fraser Anning's Conservative National Party. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Fraser Anning's standing, you know, in a park with this guy. They're both dressed in suits. They both look very respectable. But then the person who put this video together had recorded something else of the same guy on a, <coughs> an earlier occasion. All right. Just... Going to town, swearing, cussing out everybody he hated. Right. And they're all, you know, fucking this and fucking that. And mm. he just sounds like a complete angry lunatic, you know. Mm. He's ex-army and I don't know, if, I, mm. I, I don't suppose that has anything to do with it, but he's just a really angry man mm. who seems to hate everybody and Fraser Anning's now got him running for Oxley. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Might be there to help uh, 
bat off the egg throwers, you know, say oh, maybe. Dear. By the way, do you notice that Egg Girl didn't get nearly the... The um, number of likes. Yes, <laughs> yeah, as, as Egg Boy. So, so Egg Girl does the same thing to Scott Morrison and everybody's... All the people who said, good on you, Egg Boy, where were they for Egg Girl? Mm-hmm. Suddenly they realised, huh, maybe it's not such a good idea to have exactly. eggs thrown at and politicians all the time. Once you've actually started to read some of the criticisms and that sort of thing, you can start to see that people are actually saying, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. They should now turn around and say, Egg Boy was wrong. Yeah. Of course he was wrong. He was wrong. Yeah. You know. So uh, some of the religious groups are cropping up. There's the Australian Christian Alliance who um, have been getting rallies together and they're attacking seats where um, they think there's a conservative element based on the marriage equality vote and they're targeting those seats and trying to convince um, people not to vote for Labor. Uh, They say here, we are determined to stop senior people in Labor who are godless from making sweeping changes to our rights and they're working together with other faiths in these sort of sort of labour-held seats, which have a highly sort of conservative sort of electorate, if you like, based on the marriage equality vote, so they're a dangerous group. I just thought to myself when I was reading that that these guys are never going to get over that marriage equality vote, are they? No, they're not going to get over it. No, no, they're going to keep <laughs> they fighting so far. Keep fighting that fight. Mm. Yeah. And the Australian Christian Lobby are also getting involved and what they're doing is they're also uh, targeting one key seat in each state and what they're doing is targeting areas within those seats where they're doing door knocking and uh, in certain sort of streets and suburbs and then they're going to look at the booth numbers of the areas that they were door knocking in and see whether they had an effect and then basically work out what was the most effective programs that they had so that next time they can do that on a larger scale. So they're being quite scientific about Mm. their marketing. Frighteningly so. They are trying, I understand, to morph into something that you've got in the US Mm. because you've got the evangelical right in the US are very much practised at this type of campaigning. So they're trying to move into that type of Mm. right. Trying to get more sophisticated about it. Mm. The National Secular Lobby put out a scorecard where they ranked the major parties on secular issues and um, they don't like they ranked the major parties but they didn't rank any of the minor parties. Oh, no. Very so, disappointing, I have mm. to say, as a secularist to see that they um, completely neglected minor parties who are their real true supporters. Mm. You're right. So they've given... A scorecard for the Liberal Nationals, the Labor Party and the Greens. The Greens got straight A's. Um, presumably the Secular Party and a bunch of other minor parties would have got straight A's. If and they'd been listed. Yeah. Why weren't they? Mm. Well, take it up with the National Secular Lobby. Um, no, I, I, I have a theory and I think you can guess what it is. Right. A couple of uh, their ambassadors are now mm. candidates for the Greens. Ah, okay. Yep. Uh, it's, it's Julian, Julian Burnside, Burnside yes. and um, what's her name? Jane Carrow. Right. I believe they're both standing as candidates. Jane Carrow is. I don't think Jane Carrow is. Think Jane Carrow you don't Carrow think Jane Carrow is? No. Oh, I, I read somewhere that she had thought about doing that. I'm, I'm not 100% I, I, certain. I don't think so. I think I would have anyway, known if she was. Julian Burnside. She certainly had 
had advertised for the Greens. She had been campaigning for the Greens. So maybe not standing as a candidate, yeah. but she was. That's where it's tricky. If you've got an ambassador who's for the Greens party, you probably should have snuck in some of the other minor parties to be. Wouldn't you totally think? Fair. So mind you, yeah. So I guess there's so many minor parties. What is a succinct demonstration of the secular position of the landscape becomes a much more complicated Look, in- infogram when you add all the others. Stop making excuses for them, yeah. Trevor. <laughs> there is a party called the Secular Party yeah. who yeah. has had yeah. a, an association with the National Secular Lobby and has supported them in, yeah. you know, in quite a few ways. And, yeah. and yet what yeah. happened, you know? Yeah. Left completely out. Yeah. I, I think that's it. You're a, right. A there should tragedy. have been a few more columns in there. Yeah. That's a, it's a tragedy. Yeah. Right. Preferences. Let's talk about preference sort of deals and and how the Liberals were preferencing Pauline Hanson at the bottom and underneath, you know, behind Labor and how the LNP was preferencing Clive Palmer above Labor. And but Scott. These preferencing deals are really just the how-to-vote card. Mm. There's nothing that the actual party does anymore to, I mean, it was the case in previous elections. It was if in you the just case voted once. In the Senate. Yes. In the Senate, if you put one above the line, mm. then your preferences were allocated by the party. Mm. So the, the party had a, you know, when they lodged you and that sort of stuff, you gave them a list of your preferences. So if you were just one, then you got... Uh, filtered through that way. In the House of Representatives, it was always up to the individual voter. The voter would just fill out the form. Yeah, there was but, but, but some... But that Senate s- arrangement has ceased. That's and, ceased. And it's now not up to parties just to lodge. Mm-hmm. So the, the preference whisperer... Who is out of a job. Is out of a job. Yeah. And really they're saying to people, you need to put down at least six um, parties mm-hmm. above the line on the Senate ticket. And so really the... the the sort of preferencing deals, it's really relying on people following a how-to-vote card. Exactly. And it seems that the, the major parties, people kind of do, well, but certainly is... on the minor parties, yeah. they don't. So no. the One Nation and the Catters and that, they'll do their own thing probably once exactly. they put their, their party first. Whereas it says 37, 38.7% of voters across eight electorates appeared to follow the how-to-vote cards. Yeah, it's not really many. Mm. It just makes you wonder whether or not it was worth the whole angst and all that sort of stuff for ScoMo to go into a preference deal with um, Clive Palmer because Palmer being Palmer and that sort of stuff, he was probably going to end up preferencing the um, LNP ahead of the Labor Party anyway. Yes. So, you know. It was unnecessary. He was going to get it anyway. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So. And the Labor's sitting in um, a sweet spot because all the Greens' preferences go to them anyway. Exactly. Mm. There was an article I came across which was, who are the biggest bullshitters? And this is from The Economist magazine. And basically they did a study of uh, 40,000 teenage students in nine English-speaking countries to find out who was most likely to spout nonsense. And they inserted a section in the questionnaire which asked students how well they understood a collection of 16 mathematical concepts. Some were familiar, such as polygon and probability, but three were fake. This was a proper number, subjunctive scaling, and declarative fractions. 
So they asked these people in the questionnaire uh, how uh, well they understood these concepts. Mm. And, of course, people who said they understood proper numbers, subjunctive scaling or declarative fraction were complete bullshitters. (laughs) These are non-existent (laughs) concepts. So um, what they found was that they doubt that the bullshitters were simply trying to impress the questionnaire's markers. The students who bluffed about maths were just as likely as the non-bluffers to, ad- to admit they'd skipped school recently, for example. So they weren't trying to impress the examiners. It's simply that it's more likely that these people were overestimating their own knowledge intended to rate themselves highly when it came to gauging their own uh, popularity, perseverance on academic tasks and problem-solving ability. And... What you find is that in terms of by, by countries, the, the biggest bullshitters down to the lowest bullshitters, the biggest were Canada, uh, Canadian teenagers, then the United States, then Australia, New Zealand, England, and then um, uh, the other end of the scale was Ireland, Northern Ireland and Scotland. So that's interesting. But, uh, what sort of variety of countries were in the survey? I think it just said nine English-speaking countries. Oh, okay. So, so the, just the English-speaking just said, countries. Yeah, yeah. So um, Scottish less likely to bullshit than Canadians. There you go. Then when because it came the Canadians to, are so close to America. Then when it came to demographics, girls much less likely to bullshit than boys. That's probably unsurprising. Rich, much more likely to bullshit than poor. And immigrants, much more likely to bullshit than natives. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. So it's an interesting study of, of porkies. Speaking of bullshitters, sky after dark, I have to give a mention to. <laughs> Maybe they should do a, such a survey among podcasters. What do you think? Probably all rate very high on the bullshit <laughs> score. Mm. Um Look, bloody sky after dark, they've contaminated my friend Mike because I couldn't work out why he was so anti-Shorten and he was saying, oh, I'm worried about this election and, you know, if Shorten gets in, you know, the sky's going to fall down, almost is what he was saying. God, it's going to be terrible. Like, why are you so anti-Shorten? I said, where where are you listening? Where are you getting your news from? He said, oh, I've been listening to... I've been watching Sky at night time. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, Mike, for goodness sake, you you should know from this podcast that you're just allowing yourself to be contaminated by those guys. It's just that, I mean, wouldn't you like, think that if you saw Peter Credlin that you'd think to yourself, yeah. Mike is one of the salt of the earth guys, really generous, kind-hearted guy, and he's just being contaminated, <laughs> contaminated by these bullshit Sky After Dark propagandists. So... Um, so anyway, that's what they've done to my friend Mike. But um, News Corp. Have you I mean, managed to convert him back? I uh, don't think so. Does he listen to the podcast? Sometimes, I think. Yeah, well, that's a start. Yeah, sometimes. Um, News Corp has probably just gone way too far in the selection in people. Uh, well, well, you know, that hatchet job they tried on Shorten to attack him over his mother, that backfired on them badly, you yeah. know. But, you know, yeah, well, I reckon so many people under 35 wouldn't even know about it. Because no, they don't read the papers. And they yeah. don't watch the news. Mm. Like This is the one thing that we're getting to at least now is that really the only people reading those newspapers are old fogey. Um, but the downside is people are increasingly apparently just looking at social media and uh, websites that 
they feel tuned into. Mm. So, in yeah, fact, it's, the, you know, developing a kind of, kind of tunnel vision. Getting the it? news from Facebook. Yeah, yeah. But one of the advantages of that is that they're only going to see those that aren't paywalled. Murdoch paid walls his stuff, so it's out of the out of the keep of them. They won't be able to get infected by it. It, it certainly at least reduces the influence of the Murdoch mm. Empire until he finds out a way to control the social media <laughs> profile. So um, he'll be, you know, dead soon. Let's face it. But they say his son, his son is, he is a even lot more, more conservative. conservative. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to say here. Is that Lachlan Murdoch is deeply conservative? So. It's not going to improve. Once <laughs> it'll probably get, get worse. worse. Yeah. 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 So it'll probably get worse and then you'll end up with more people cancelling their subscription to the Australian and the Courier Mail. So a number of ex-News Corp journalists have basically come out of the woodwork in the last week or so and have just said it's just gone too far. It's, mm. it's gone crazy level in terms of the propaganda. So, Well, I mean, there was some, I don't know, I can't remember if I was reading it in here or whether it was reading it somewhere else, but they were saying that you expect that, the, no, it was on the signal this morning that I was listening to it. Jeez, I listened to a lot of podcasts. Mm. Um, that they were saying that, you expect newspapers to have a bent, a lean. Yeah. But they said this has gone way too far to the point that it is just an outright bias, you know, where you've got everything that's attacking the Labor Party you and you don't have anything that attacks the LNP. And these people are shamelessly Trump-like. Absolutely. In, in the way are. that they will attack the ABC as yeah. being a biased organisation, like these most biased commentators from the News Corp stable. <laughs> Will just rant and rave about the biased ABC as if as if they're not. It's it's Trump like in its shamelessness. Um, oh God, please don't let them. Don't let Do them you get suspect in. the word Trump will enter our lexicon? Yeah, it's certainly with scripted. with that essential meaning, mm. meaning shameless. Yes, it'll mean a lot of things. Yeah, that'll be one of them. Because <laughs> he totally is shameless, isn't mm. he? Yeah, millennials. A survey done about millennials, and apparently they're lurching to the left. So, um, overall, fifty-eight percent of Australian millennials polled view socialism favourably. Yeah, that was a little bit of a concern for me. I mean, if it depends what sort of socialism they're talking about, if they're talking about the sort of socialism that you've got in Scandinavia, Europe, that's fine. If you start talking about the sort of Soviet-style socialism, then they've got some big problems which I just don't think they understand. Mm. I was old enough to remember waking up in the middle of the night to watch the Berlin Wall getting demolished and I loved every second of it (laughs) because that was a great symbol. We had destroyed it once and for all. Well, look, let's be be real. Um, The teaching of history in schools has probably always been, you know, just adequate if anything. People are not interested in in history, you know. If it's if it's before nineteen ninety, ah, it's it's not relevant to my life. Why why would I be interested? And yet, you know, we 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 know we're old enough to know of the atrocities, the mass atrocities of the twentieth century, under what were sold as left wing regimes, you know. Mm-hmm. But were they atrocities committed in the name of socialism or were they atrocities committed in the name of totalitarianism? Yes, but the problem being how do you separate them? Because when you give absolute power to one party, Mm. they inevitably tend to abuse it and to see people as just units in a a big project, Mm. in a big scheme. 
Yes, so, but it was more about democracy and totalitarianism rather than the economics. It was it was it was somebody in charge who's unelected. Yeah. So if it was yeah, a that, so, if that, it was a, if it was a democratic socialism, so called. Yeah, but we've never had that before. We've well, co- we've well, had well, some fairly you know, we've Scandinavia. had some, Scandinavia is probably the closest you're going to get, but it's yeah. not a completely socialist economy. Well, because but socialism is a spectrum. I know it's all on a spectrum. somewhere between capitalism and communism lies that, socialism. Absolutely, and this is what I've said. I said if it's the European style socialism, that's yes. fine. But if it is the socialism, you know, but you get the factor of you know, passionate, youthful enthusiasm. You know, they embrace an idea and they run with it and inevitably bad things happen because they run too far, you know. <laughs> they run too far away you, from you, in, what is a, and, and it's not conventional. Like, okay, so let's talk about some, well, just quickly, um, some famous um, socialist slash communist dictators and the number of people they supposedly had killed. Well, yeah, and of course they didn't kill them directly with their yeah, bare hands, but correct. they're responsible for yes. their deaths, whether it was through war or famine or, or yes. just terrible so economic. We've got Stalin, forty-two million; Mao Zedong, thirty-seven million; well, Lenin, four million. Mao Zedong, the mm. estimates for him are up to fifty or sixty million mm. through famine. Pol Pot, two point four million. Yeah. Tito, one point two million. Really, Tito, one point two million. Yeah, I wasn't Surprising. aware that he was responsible I, I, I didn't for, think for so many a, deaths. Mm. But he was around think, a long time. Yeah, but I didn't think he was an absolute bastard. From nineteen forty one to eighty seven, it's a long yeah. time. Yes, you can, you can kill a lot of people in yes, forty years. Yeah, mm. you know, inadvertently or otherwise. Just um, take your time and work your way through them. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Hitler, twenty million. Um, Chiang Kai Shek, ten million. Yes, in China, he was a ruthless mm. dictator. Yeah, and Tojo. Hideki. Mm. Uh, the military leader of Imperial Japan. Yeah, four million during the war years. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought more for him, to be honest, but mm. there you go. Of course, what was in this list, see, this all comes from a think tank. Uh, let me just see which think tank it was. Uh, it might have been the Centre for Independent yes, Studies, wasn't it? right-wing think tank. So they were basically trotting out these statistics about millennials' view of socialism and saying, oh, my God, can you believe these millennials have a favourable view of socialism? Don't they remember the dark times and terrible times of these communist dictators? And then they've given this list. I honestly don't think you should belittle that point of view. I don't either. Because that, you know, you you might might be looking back on this with rose-coloured glasses. You have got, you know, if you look at east of the Danube, right, east of the Danube, the environmental disaster that the Marxists unleashed on that continent was absolutely disgraceful. And yet over in the West we were supposed to be just polluting everything and yet when when the Berlin Wall fell down and they had to reunify them, they had to turn around and they said to the Western taxpayers of West Germany, well, you're going to have to help clean up your Eastern cousins. <laughs> Here's my question, though. Mm. How many people has capitalism killed? Well, you're never going to know that because you didn't have central bureaus keeping no, profiles. No, but, it, but if, you, if you take a view of, say, um, American intervention in Latin America, 
then, then yeah, how many people? That is not capitalism. No, that that is that on. is failed foreign policy That's of the United right. States. That That's is not, not capitalism. capitalism. But, but that was done in the name of capitalism. It no, wasn't it done wasn't. in the name yes, of capitalism. It was, it was, it was done in the name of fighting socialist regimes. Every single intervention by America and Latin America has been about deposing left wing governments. And in and, yeah, but and I wanting think, a capitalist style you government. You, take, you, you that. are drawing it's, it's partly a, that. You, you, I'll, you, I'll grant you that. It's you. You're drawing that. a very long bow to say that that is capitalism versus communism. It's not. Well, it's no longer bow than saying that these uh, totalitarian dictators were doing things in the name of communism because that was really the case that they were. Dictators. It wasn't the economic theory of communism. It was the fact that they had absolute power and power, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it's it's a similar thing where you're saying, oh, you know, communism was responsible for all of those deaths, but oh no, capitalism isn't the essential ingredient on all these other deaths. How, how many mass famines were imposed upon? Populations due to next, the capitalist government. Next, next time we meet, I'll have a list of <laughs> capitalist deaths. Just to give no, a capitalist mass famines. So, yes, capitalist yeah. mass incarceration y- of yes. citizens. Capitalist yes. Yes. mass transportation of yes. populations of whole states yeah. to different parts of the country. Yes, to be. You know, put yes. into forced labour. Yes. How many capitalist countries have done that? Y- yeah, I mean. Well, when we talk about the involvement of Great Britain in India, are we allowed to call that a capitalist movement? Yes, I think we are. There'll be a lot of numbers in that. I mean, there'll be India a lot. India is of, an interesting case. I mean, I there's thought. a lot of deaths that will be attributed to capitalism, mm. and I'll, t- I'll tally them all up for yeah. next week. But my point is mm. all of the, you know, there's a number of col- the colonisation of a number of countries by mm. capitalist forces wiped out through intentional warfare or disease, which you mentioned famine yeah, yeah. was. A, a, sure. It's going to add up. Yeah. It may well add up, but I don't think it's going to come anywhere near to the numbers of what... Uh, well, so, but we have to be careful not to conflate capitalism with colonialism too, I think. I well, think that's a very good point. Well, Paul, but hang on. If, yeah, well, if you've got a... Yes, but we don't want to conflate communism or socialism with dictators. But well, it you, produces them on a on a very regular basis. Well, Scandinavia doesn't. It's a that's socialism not, without. Nah, it's a democratic socialism. socialism. It's not socialism. It's a not a socialist model. What you've got it's is a you, capitalist. It is a model. capitalist no, model. No, no, that hang has on. They took the re- oil, Norway took the oil reserves and said it belongs to the state. Exactly. That is socialism, my friend. Whereas uh, but the state had always had control of everything that is below the surface but, of the but ground, the state, but rather than privatise it, mm. they kept it in their government That's hands. That's socialism. It's is not it? socialism. That Retaining is just, that sort of um, oil reserve money is socialism for the are state. You sure? Capitalism is allowing private enterprise to exploit it and keep the money. But isn't it a... a a sort of a lever that the capitalists use to 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 keep control of resources by not allowing individuals to to have any claim over it. It's like people in Ipswich, you know. <laughs> a lot of them probably bought their suburban block not knowing that there were coal mines underneath their their property. Yeah, well, your freehold title doesn't include mining rights. It doesn't include mining rights yeah, exactly. So that issue. is reserved for the capitalists. Well, it, it, well that's. <laughs> 
the, the government it's reserved is, for whoever has the capital to put the point up is to our develop capital the resource. system has said private enterprise you exploit it and keep that's the money that's right whereas in a socialist system e.g. Norway they said no we're retaining it for the state mm. but they did then turn it over to capitalist enterprise to develop it, didn't they? No, in Norway they retained ownership of it. Completely? Yeah. So that's why. I mean, Norway Oil Company yeah. is owned by the Norwegian yeah. taxpayer. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting case. Yeah. So. And all the profits and that sort of stuff go into a sovereign wealth fund. Yeah. And we don't have that here in Australia, do we? We should have it, but we don't. That would be socialist. We and, could have and, the. And arguably, that is what these millennials are saying when they say they're in favour of socialism. Oh, uh, maybe. And that's, and that's what I said right at the point, at the very beginning of it all. I said mm-hmm. as long as it's a European-style socialism, yes. that's no problem. If it goes over to the Eastern Europe, then no, you don't want to get involved in that. So no. what we need is the Commonwealth Mining Company. No, you don't want mining companies. You just All you've got to do is you've got to tax them at a reasonable rate. Yes. You've got to, you know, it, it's – who was that – I can't remember the numbers that Trevor pointed out to us, but it was some uh, British – this university had done the studies and said how much money Australia natural had missed. Natural gas, yeah, was, was natural where gas. We were we were getting so little from natural Absolutely. gas compared to what we should be getting. Apparently, exactly. people in Japan yeah. could buy yeah. our natural so, gas cheap, more cheaply than we could. Yeah, so we, we're getting totally screwed on that. Hmm. Yeah. Now you guys both filled in Vote Compass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and saw where we landed, and it's interesting because the ABC has had over a million people. Yes. Uh, log in and fill in that questionnaire on Vote Compass to see where they are positioned. On it's a pretty good piece of social research, isn't it? it that's is a lot really, of people. That's a hell of a bloody big data sample that they have collected. So they've started releasing some of the data mm. that they've got on people's attitudes mm-hmm. because obviously it wasn't just who are you going to vote for. No. It was a whole range of sort of where do you feel at, about various yeah. issues. Mm. So. Quite good data yes. coming out of that. And um, um, let's see some of the highlights. The top 10 most left-leaning electorates are all in the inner suburbs of our capital cities. Um, the 10 most right-leaning electorates are all rural except for uh, Moncrief, which is surface paradise on the Gold Coast. They're an odd bunch on the Gold Coast. There's been some... There's a lot of retired older people. But there are also a lot of younger people in the Gold Coast. Yeah. It's an an odd... It attracts all kinds, doesn't it? It doesn't attract me, I have to say. No. Queensland... living down the Gold Coast? Really? Not not surface end. No, not surface, no, but southern end. Yeah. Queensland emerges once again as Australia's most right-leaning state, accounting for seven of the ten most right-leaning electorates. Mm. Queensland. Anyway... Remember when the, we had the state election in New South Wales and they had that map that showed basically, you know, Labor in the central inner city, inner area. city areas, then the Liberals in the more outer areas and then shooters and nationals and then shooters and fishers. It was a very geographically based mm-hmm. graph. And um, basically from this vote compass, I've got links to some graphs here and dear listener if you are listening on a ios device you'll be able to see the graphs on your app hopefully but basically um they've shown uh how progressive or conservative 
people were in their views and then based that on whether they were in a metro, out of metro, regional or rural. And it's so blindingly obvious that the more rural and, and re- re- regional you are, the more socially conservative you are. And you just, the, our tendency Has it, to Hasn't vote, it always been thus? I guess so. But it's just, a, it's just an interesting feature that, that depending, I mean, really policies on farming sort of stuff are not that prominent in the election, are they? But how can people who are farmers or rural be so consistent in their thought processes compared to inner-city people? Well, I mean, it brings to mind that old uh, TV program, Green Acres. <laughs> right. Did you watch Green Acres? It was I can a, remember the theme song. It was a kind of a, <laughs> right. it was a, kind of a, a spoof on... And a, a New York sort of, you know, banker or financier, some wealthy guy right. who married this really um, glamorous woman mm. who was played by Zsa, Zsa Gabor's sister, Eva. <laughs> right. And um, his dream was to live in the country. And so he bought a farm. And so it's this, this, sat, this spoof about, a, a wealth, you know, these wealthy right. New York t- uh, people going to live in the country. It okay. was hilarious. Does he suddenly start voting conservatively? <laughs> well, the line in the in the theme song is give me the simple life, you know, yeah. and maybe that's part of it is that people who live in the country tend to prefer to to see the world in, in more simple themes, you know what I mean? So keep things less complicated because life is complicated, let's face it, particularly – in the political world. I don't know. It's just interesting that so much of your likelihood to vote in a certain way depends on where you live. It's very, it seems very odd to me. It is interesting, mm. but I suspect it's something to do with the mindset of people living mm. in the country. Some other interesting statistics to come out of Vote Compass. Uh, overall, 12th man, you're sitting down. Uh, 64% of voters support the idea of changing the constitution to establish an Indigenous body to advise Parliament. Yes, I've seen it. Well, 22% rejected. I know, and it gave me <laughs> deep, deep concern, I have to say. It yeah. will be turned around. Once you get this, once you expose this idea to the cold, hard light of a campaign, mm. it will be reversed. Yes. You will end up. You know, I think Turnbull hit the nail right on the head where he said that it's, there's no desire for it in the public. He Turnbull could have been wrong. But according to Vote Compass, according to Vote Compass of people said he was wrong. But, yeah. you know, but that is just you've just asked them one question. Are you in favour of something that that enshrines it in the Constitution? Hmm. Maybe well, that, maybe there is a fair amount of people who are prepared yeah. to say yes, but if you then start subjecting them to a campaign... Then they're going to turn. They're going to think, just Jesus, I don't want that. I, and look, I, I don't to, think it'll work. Just to, just for the sake of those people who've just tuned into the podcast recently and don't know our yeah. our, our yeah. total position, our, our nuanced we, we are not we are not anti Indigenous people. We want them to have the same wonderful Australian life as the rest of us. Yes. But we just do not think that giving Indigenous people a separate sort of body that advises the legislature is the way forward. It's, as Trevor would 
put it, it's racist. Yeah, by all means, triple the amount of welfare given to poor Indigenous people yes. in remote communities. But don't triple the amount of money given mm. to Jonathan Thurston's kids. That's the whole point. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. So, um, you know, my kids could not be members of such a body. Well, my grandchildren couldn't. But yeah. if, if one of my grandchildren married one of Jonathan Thurston's grandchildren, then suddenly their offspring would be eligible. Yes. It makes no sense at all. I was explaining this to somebody just the other day and I said, essentially, if you, if you make it that you have to be Indigenous to, to, to be accepted into this advisory body, that's essentially racist. And, mm. and they looked at me and they were like, um, yeah, but, uh, but they're Indigenous. Yeah, and and I, there seems to be this mm. idea out there that if you're Indigenous, you can't be racist. Mm. The other thing, just, you, know? you know, the one that we, sh- the other thing, when we had our friend on from Sanford, I think I might have mentioned this before, I'm not sure, but he basically ran a line that Indigenous people should make decisions for Indigenous people because they would be better prepared to understand the nature of what it is to be Indigenous and to understand their needs and, and you know, we couldn't possibly... No, we know. couldn't possibly empathise. But, but in the very same episode, we had um, Anthony Mundine coming out and saying that, you know, black people are being victimised by vaccines and that they're more likely to suffer autism and don't vaccinate your kids. So it was the classic example where just because you're an Indigenous leader, that doesn't make you infallible and you could come up with any sort of batshit idea the same as a a white leader could. Exactly. You know, skin colour does not lead to infallibility on Indigenous decision-making. Regardless of your skin colour. So anyway, we're out of kilter and we will continue to be (laughs) on that issue and I know we have uh, patrons who are, like, with us 99% of the way on topics (laughs) and they stop short on this one. Since the last podcast, I I received in the post another book on the the Indigenous issue. And it was written by a, a female Australian academic yeah. who worked on violence in Indigenous communities, mm. and she was moved to to actually write a book. Okay, can it. you bring next time that one that you refused to read, the Dark Emu one? I'll read that. Didn't I lend uh, it to you, Scott? I think you've lent it to me. Yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. it. So home clearly, nobody's going to report on that. So I'll read that one. Yes. And report on it. So. It's all, yeah. it's all I'll, I'll fluff and padding. It. I'll do it. For them. I've started reading it. Yeah. What did you think so far? No, I've only just started. Yeah. So we'll yeah. give, I, mean, I give eventually picked words. it up last yeah. night. But so. I know Brett wanted us to read it and I, I will undertake to read it if you can give it to me. Right. Okay, other things from Vote Compass was that um, a third of young voters don't know or, or are neutral on the franking credits policy. Really, millennials out there, you don't want to be in favour of this stupid franking credits policy of the LNP. Oh, for goodness sake. Just So anyway, I, I doubt that any of them actually understand what it's about. So, Negative my gearing old... should never have been instituted. So, See, no, this, is, this is the franking credits. No, oh, so, yeah. but I mean it's... It's yeah, it's, it's an unrelated issue, yeah. I guess. But yeah. but all these middle class if, sort if, of extra benefits that they gave away, the governments gave away. Yeah, if you come across somebody who says, you know, I demand that the retention of these this franking credits, I'm relying on that. Say to them, well, look, move to a country, just leave and go to a country where they do that. 
and they don't do it, do they? There's, no not, one there's not another country in the no. world that does it. Look, the only reason it started is because the, the Howard government was embarrassed by how much money they were awash with in Canberra yeah. at the height of the mining boom, so they started to give it away. That's right. Mm-hmm. But, and that's what's, driven the, that's what's driven the budget into structural deficit because you had given the, all the giveaways and all that sort of stuff remained permanent, but mm. the cash inflows didn't start. It wasn't permanent. Yeah. No. Yeah. So anyway. we have a revenue problem. Exactly. We have, we have a revenue problem in the budget, not a spending problem. Well, we've got a spending problem that you're giving away too much money for yeah. in franking credits and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, you can throw rocks at me for saying this if you like, digital listener, but I honestly believe <laughs> that Bill Shorten is wrong oh. where he says that he's going to exempt uh, part pensioners mm. who are receiving, who, he still said they're going to get a refund of their franking credits. I think he's wrong because... That is getting them two bites of the taxpayer's cherry. They are getting a they are getting their their money from a pension, and they're also then getting the refunded tax credit, which I think is wrong. It's all part of the compromise of politics because he it's could wrong. then because then he could say in any debate or argument, well, that policy doesn't apply to somebody with a pension. I know, so, and so it makes no sense whatsoever. Well, it was very clever politics, though. It, it, it's a really good argument to say if you're so poor you're on a pension, this doesn't affect you. But it's it shows, a, a clever it shows how, how hollow his principles are too, doesn't well, it? you got to get elected. This is the compromise of politics. You can be pure if you want to and never get elected. You have to do these things. This is the problem with politics. Like the you secular get, party. You have to get dirty and make these compromises so that you can shut down uh, these sort of wedge issues. So, yeah, ugly. But I heard that the, the actual percentage of people on a very modest income who get franking credits, it's a tiny percent. It's a tiny I think it was. I think anyway. it was single-figure uh, I think that, the, you know, numbers. there was another thing that I was quoting from insiders, and forgive me, legitimate listeners, but um, I think the number is at most that whatever they're going to do is going to impact 6% of the population. Something like that, yeah. So that's mm. what they've done. They have sit down, they've calibrated it and all that sort of thing. They've thought to themselves, okay, we're going to annoy these 6% of the population who are never going to vote for us anyway. Mm. Okay, new topic. <clears throat> Remember back in the good old days of, of, of the cake bakery and the wedding oh, cakes? Yeah. We had some great <laughs> discussions. We forget that. We had some great discussions on that. We did. And I remember at one time using the uh, sort of thought experiment of a printer. And if you were the only printer in town and you were asked to print, print – um, Political material, mm. and we were, you know, discussing. Well, should the printer be forced to print that material or, or not? Yes. Yeah. Well, well, that thought experiment has come to life. So, Office Works at Hornsbury refused to print um, leaflets for a Fraser Anning Party candidate. So, they refused to print his literature. Um, which states that we are overrun by an Islamic element imposing vile Sharia law. So uh, the candidate, Brian Clare, who is standing in Tony Abbott's seat, uh, says he's outraged and is threatening legal action against office works. So it was a 1,000 A4 pamphlets that he was wanting and they initially took the job but then the store manager called him and said they're not going to print it and... Um, so the Officeworks head office said, uh, at Officeworks, we respect our customers' right to free speech. However, 
Our terms of use prohibit customers from printing materials which may be threatening, abusive, or which incite hatred of any person. Dear listener, should Officeworks be able to refuse to print the Fraser Anning Conservative National Party leaflet material, or should they be allowed to, well, say the first time, you know the story. What's the answer? What, where do we stand on this one, gentlemen? 12th man, personally, libertarian 12th man. Yes, personally. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you? Uh, personally, I think office works is a, is a, is a disgrace <laughs> because they, they, are, they are arbitrarily deciding that they have better judgment than, you know, the person, the customer on, on what is reasonable and proper in political campaigning. I mean, who are they to... When it came to cake shops, weren't you in favour of shops generally being able to refuse service? I was, I was. And look, I have to admit I've moderated my my stance on that a little bit because I I came across to your side a little bit, Trevor, on that one. Uh, Look, I'm just really... I just get so annoyed at people who think that they are the moral arbiters, mm-hmm. that they can make a judgment about what is hate speech. And this Israel Folau case is, is We'll is get on to Israel, but, yes. but without diverting to Israel, well, let's just stick to this particular one. I hope, to Israel. I hope he sues them, frankly. Right. I hope he does because this is politics and in our liberal democratic system, everybody should have the freedom to have a run for to be elected to, to high office. Mm-hmm. And they should be allowed to honestly distribute material that reflects their philosophical and political positions. Mm. Now, Office Works is trying to hinder their democratic right to run for office, and I think Office Works uh, should be taken to task for that. Well, you've certainly come around since our earlier discussions. So, um, Velvet Glove, where do you stand on this one? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I could understand where Office Works is coming from. However, uh, I think I reluctantly agree with the twelfth man that I think that um, they should be forced to print their stuff off. Mm. What do you? Despite the fact that you know it was a bloody lie in there. He said we're going to be overrun by Muslims. We're not going to be overrun. Of course, we're not. Mm. But who are Office Works to to decide? that they can judge what is hate speech mm. and what isn't hate speech. You know? And, I mean, I really have a problem with this high, mm. whole concept of hate speech. Mm. Yeah. It's so subjective. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess the basic principle that I've always tried to state is that uh, if you're opening a shop, then you should be open for everybody as much as possible, that anyone who walks in the door, black, white or polka dot, should be able to... Buy your widget or buy your service that you are offering. Now, if the material was inciting violence, then it would be illegal material, in which case you can refuse to print it. But it wasn't exactly inciting violence. It seems to be short of that. So um, really in that situation, they should be printing it and if they don't want to print it, then they should be saying to all candidates, we don't print electioneering material. That would be okay. That would be more fair. So if they said, uh, 
we're not printing this for you because we do not print electioneering material for anybody, that would be okay. That's right. But they can't pick and choose and say, exactly. oh, not your stuff, but yes, your yeah. stuff, and not your stuff, but yes, Can your you stuff. Can you imagine so. if, a, if, mm. if a printing shop said, we will mm. print for this party, this party, and that party, but mm. not for those other parties? Yeah. There would be an uproar, wouldn't there, yeah. surely? And you could have small towns with one printer yes. and it could be very difficult for... Where do they go? Exactly. So that's an interesting one. Yeah, you've really come around, cloth man. The fanboys fan out there... <laughs> but Let look, us know because I I worked hard on you in the cake shop dilemma discussions fifty episodes ago, look, and you won a lot of supporters there. And maybe these twelfth man fanboys might come across <laughs> and be an iron fist fanboy. Well, they, now. they might desert me, but I, I'm willing to risk that because I think I think we should all be flexible, shouldn't yeah, we? In we our should. thinking, we do. And I think Good. that's one of the strengths of the podcast is. is that we're willing to change our Indeed. minds. Indeed, I'm just needling you and I'm needling these fanboys out there. Uh, okay, next one is um, – that's good. That's fun. Uh, oh, Scott Morrison, we've reached the point where the Prime Minister and the potential new Prime Minister are theorising about hell. <laughs> Oh, wasn't that ridiculous? Oh, for God's when sake. Bill Shorten, I mean, Bill Shorten is, is such a spineless wonder. I mean, he was asked, do you think, you know, gay people are going to hell? And he said, of course I don't think gay people are going. No, well, was, was it Morrison? I'll give the background a yeah. little bit just for okay. the listener. Sorry. Morrison said that he supports the laws of the country. I That's think, right. Didn't Morrison he? didn't have the guts to say that his theology says that gay people will go to hell. Correct. And Shorten didn't have the guts to say hell is a, mon- is a, is a nonsense. Yeah. It's a fantasy. So, so Morrison was Shorten asked. Actually believes. Well, Morrison was think asked he does? what he no. believes and he, he hedged an umden and Labor seized on the answer, noting that Morrison had refused to say that LGBTI Australians don't go to hell. And um, Morrison, in 2018, when he was Treasurer, applauded Falau's strong character when he made comments um, that unrepentant gay people go to hell. But more recently, Morrison has said that um, uh, similar comments by Falau were terribly insensitive. So... Um, at the third leaders' debate, Morrison and Shorten were asked about Falau. Morrison described free speech and religious freedoms as fundamental freedoms. Well, he's wrong there. They're not uh, religious freedom is not fundamental. Um, promised to introduce the Fr- Religious Discrimination Act, um, and Shorten uh, blah 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 hedged his bets. He was uneasy about Falau suffering employment penalty. Um, and he said, I don't think if you're gay, you're going to go to hell. I don't know if hell exists, actually, but I don't think if it does that being gay is what sends you there. I oh, did Shorten say that? He doesn't think quote. it exists. Well, I don't think it, but if it does, oh, that being gay. So, we've, so got the, we've, we've got our leaders theorising on the existence of hell and what gets you into there. Oh. What has this country become if it? How stupid. They're the, gutless. They, They're all Can gutless. we just get a leader who says, no fucking hell, you're not going to go to hell. That's Enjoy right. your life while you're alive now. Make the most of yeah. it because it's over and done and dusted once you can't get That's But right. can we just get, please, a, a little bit of, leader? A little bit of honesty. Please. We had one of them and she got knifed. She yeah. did, yes. yeah. Yeah, but she, 
she also she was a bit cozied too up. On she cozied up to yeah. the Australian yeah, Christian she did lobby. cozy up to yeah. the Australian Christian lobby. There's yeah. no doubt talking Julia Gillard. Not to mention yeah. all the money she started you shoveling know, towards. At some the point, you religious need schools. to just take them on and just say it's bullshit. Mm. And you know, the emperor has no clothes on. That's right. Yeah, actually, that's right. So anyway, Falau, <laughs> Israel Falau. What a great case. It like is. It's so interesting, isn't it? It's it is got really this, very interesting. All of these conflicting rights and because it involves a footballer, it's got people talking about these things who would normally not talk about them. My team. Okay. <laughs> when I was a child, Parramatta. Right. Scott's, Scott's wearing, wearing a Parramatta. Parramatta coloured jersey. He's wearing a mixed bag. It's He's a got, mixed bag. It's got all sorts of stuff. The front it. is Parramatta. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you um, know, just... Coincidentally, when I was a, a, a primary school boy, year, uh, year six primary school, I actually made it into my um, my district's rugby team in the sort of district competition. I can't remember. Did you go to private school? No, it was it was a public school, but we played rugby yeah. union public in school public school in Sydney. Union. Yeah, oh. and the left arm, the right arm of Scott's jersey is actually the jersey I wore as a representative of my district, and yeah. the the front is. The Parramatta team, which was the district I grew up in, the left arm, I'm not sure what that is. Is that Australia, is it? Yeah, looks I like couldn't it. tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like the, the body of it's Parramatta. The right arm is Cronulla and the left arm is, oh, is right, sort of a Cronulla. dull green Aussie. Do you want to take a photo of this so you can show the listeners? Yeah, there? We'll, right. that on. Probably <laughs> should. we'll take a photo and we'll slip it into the. Yeah. But Israel Falau. We're really diverting. Okay, here. Israel Falau, I totally that? support his right to say stupid nonsense if that's what he really believes. Mm. I mean, you made the point, Trevor, that he is jeopardising the business of Rugby Australia because they're losing sponsors because they don't like what he said. He didn't say anything about his employer. I feel that he should be allowed to talk about anything he likes. If it isn't directly about his employer, he wasn't criticising his employer at all. He was just spouting religious dogma that he sincerely believes, apparently. We don't believe it, but he should be allowed to say what he really thinks. This is freedom of speech. So he should just continue on. Look, I support his right to free speech. I don't believe that religious dogma, obviously, but I do support his right to free speech. I I think it's a dangerous dangerous situation if we say that employers are allowed to fire people because they don't like what they say. Okay, I've got a question for you. Yeah, but I honestly think that I understand what you're saying there, but I do think that considering he has upset a number of sponsors, that if they are looking at pulling the pin on their sponsorship, then they've got to actually sit Israel down and say to him, look, you know, your sprouting is your own business. However, we're going to have to cut you loose because you're costing us a fortune. So you don't think he should have that right protected by No, I don't think so, Mm -hmm. no. He has lost a number of sponsors. Mm, personal ASICs sponsors. Oh, yes, personally said. he's lost a lot of money now, too. Now, what do you say to the ASICs sponsor? Because he didn't say anything. Your main argument before mm. was that he said nothing about his employer. Well, he said nothing about ASICs. But th- ASICs have dropped him. Yes. And do you think ASICs is entitled to do that? Yes, I do. Mm. Because that's a, that's a personal arrangement between him and ASICs. Well, he Whereas was Rugby employed, Australia, his employer. Like, no, he was. In, he had a number of employers, one of whom was ASICS, who employed him as an ambassador 
for ASIC's products. Yes. Where he would have to attend certain events, sponsorship events. He would have to do a certain number of appearances. He would have to wear their products. He would have to smooch with their executives. And um, he had various other commitments that he would have to Mm -hmm. do from time to time. So you're saying that the ASIC's employer could terminate his contract, but you're saying that the rugby union employer could not. That's my position because his his main profession is he's an athlete, right? Uh, yeah, he's working well, this for, is the tricky part. Well, it, it, I, 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 I take your point. I, I, I sympathise with you. It's a little bit grey. Yes. Uh, he also lost a, a nice car. Land Rover had Indeed. given him a nice and car. And you're saying that's okay. So, well, I, I, I... So you're okay with those groups cancelling employment contracts? I, I, I wouldn't see why they would. That he, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't see, see why they would. But, but he didn't say anything detrimental about ASICs no, or, he didn't. or Land Rovers. It was totally irrelevant to ASICs and Land Rovers what he did. Yes. Yeah, but you're as, okay for him to be losing that employment contract? Look, I, I think it's up to him personally to, to argue the point in, in a court of law with Asics and Land Rover. But rug, he's, he's, he's a footballer. No, 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 but, but, but His tell, main employer yeah, is honest, Rugby Australia. I honestly no, think no. you should go back to this Asics statement that says, Asics is dedicated to sport. Its healthy contribution to society, a company statement read, we believe sport is for everyone and a champion and we champion inclusivity and diversity. While Israel Folau is entitled to his word. personal views, some of those expressed in recent social media posts are not aligned with those of ASICS. As such, our partnership with Israel has become untenable and we no longer yeah. represent ASICS. And do you know what I have a problem with? I have a problem with them picking on just the one aspect of that. He, they, everybody's upset because he said homosexuals are going to hell. Nobody's upset because he said atheists or fornicators or, <laughs> or drunkards, drunkards are going, going to hell. Yeah. I mean, why? Why are there, does he have beer sponsors? <laughs> I mean, like we do. Are we in danger of losing our beer sponsors if we say the wrong thing? Well, I think we're all going to hell for all very different reasons. But you know, it's, um... but seriously, uh, I think it's up to him to negotiate with ASICs and Land Rover. But his his main profession is athlete, and he's working for Rugby Australia. I think it's a very dangerous game. But, when but, your but, employer but what, can fire you for what you think. But what you're saying, actually, is that his statements about gay people are irrelevant to his job as a footballer. It seems to be what you were leaning off with. I think it – well, no. He's, he's, he, I think people – the best but, approach but, is but, just to go out and tell people hell is not a real place – you can just ignore that nonsense. T- t- tell me in a nutshell why ASICs can sack him but Rugby Union Australia can't. I don't think that ASICs has sacked him. All ASICs has done is pulled the rug out from under That's all they've done. They've they haven't stopped him playing his, football. They've, they've ter- just said. Okay, let me rephrase that. Why can ASICs terminate their employment contract with him? Because I don't but, think he's got an employment contract with rug- him. Well, it's an ongoing contract to perform certain tasks in return for money, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me why ASICs can terminate a contract requiring him to do those tasks in return for money, because whereas Rugby Union Australia cannot terminate a contract requiring well, him to do things in return for money. It would be like if this podcast was, was being run and paid for by the ABC and you were able to get a couple of beer companies sponsoring you on the side. 
Now, if you said something that was detrimental to the business of the beer companies, you could sort of understand them withdrawing their sponsorship. But if the ABC then sacked you because they didn't like what you you were saying, I think that would be a different case. So because one is a main contract and the other one is an ancillary by-product, is that that what you're saying? Yes, one is your main professional activity and the other is a kind of fringe benefit. What if he was getting more money from ASICs than he was getting from Rugby Union I Australia. I think that's irrelevant. But then it would be the main contract. No, I mean his his main profession is footballer. And for the, the person, for the, for the organisation that employs him to play football, to terminate his employment because he said something totally unrelated to football, I think that's unjust. So it's because it's his main employment yes. contract. Yes. So ancillary contracts... Don't have the same rights as main contracts. Oh, I don't know if rights is the right word, but I think you know he's a footballer. He should be allowed See, to play I, football. Okay, so my position is that I think I admit a, bi- a bias in this because I hate Israel Folau. Why I would think you hate him? Because I think he's a prick. <laughs> but why so, would you care? Because. He's a preaching prick, is yes, what but I think he's he is. A simpleton. Let's face it. He's, <laughs> and, and he's not Einstein. That's you know. true. Uh, he's I a ha- great athlete, but he's not. I don't Einstein. hate him. He pisses me off. Yes, hate People, is a very strong. It word. is. I'll take that back. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll just use. <laughs> he really annoys me. This sort of prick. Right? Okay. Okay. So let's leave it. But there are so probably I thousands. So like. I look at the Israel Folau case and I say, I want to find a reason <laughs> why rugby <laughs> union can get rid of him. Yeah. So I, I You're have to admit that your bias. bias. Yes. And I am finding a pathway to justify my bias. So, okay. I'm, so I'm admitting that and I, like, the thing I like about the Falao case, in all of the things we've talked about over the years, this is one where I admit that faced with a good argument from somebody else, maybe Hugh Harris will come on yeah. and I might have to say, I agree, I changed my mind okay. because it's a tough one, Falao, because ultimately... I think there is this nub of an issue of how essential to the contract is it that he is not bringing the game into disrepute. How much of his contract is just catching and kicking and running and how much is other stuff? And if it's such a minor part of the contract, you're not entitled to terminate. But if it's a big part of the contract, you are entitled to terminate. So. It's like in contract law, you have minor breaches that are worthy of termination, uh, that are not worthy of termination, and you have major breaches. Mm. So as a, at a factual level, it's a tricky one because it's a nebulous area as to where he lies in that. And I could be convinced to say that he's actually, uh, his, his sponsorship responsibilities are such a minor part that they don't deserve a termination of the main contract. But I don't at this stage. So... Anyway, that's where I f- I'm, fall on that I'm one. I'm really disappointed that, that people who are not religious are not coming out and using this as an opportunity to, to tell everybody, hey, everybody, hell isn't real, don't worry about it, you know. Young, impressionable people who may be affected by his, his words, just tell them, hey, mm. it's not a real place, you don't need to worry. Yeah, see, that was the point I made a couple of weeks ago. You know, I said that, you know, myself and the better half, we've been condemned to hell, but neither of us believe in hell. So So why would you care? It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. 
You, you would still go and watch him at a rugby match then? Yeah, probably. He's yeah. an amazing athlete to watch. I mean, he's he's like a gazelle, isn't he? He's, he's yeah, poetry in he, motion. That guy. Once he, he really scores is an a amazing try, though, he scores a try, though, he points up to God. I know, that part is ridiculous. But, but look, he's not the only one that – it gives me the shits too. He's not the only <laughs> one that does it. Djokovic does it. Yeah, I know. And, you know, he's one of the top tennis players. He does the same thing when he wins a match. He points oh, to he the, yeah. the sky and, you know, it's like, thank you, Jesus, for, for helping me win a tennis match and let 10,000 children die of dysentery today. Yeah. <laughs> because, seriously, that's, that's the blindness of these people. Have you noticed uh, at some sometimes in sporting events, and this happened to Adam Goods, Remember a spectator in the crowd called him something like a monkey, a monkey or something, something yeah, like yeah. that, quite sort of racist, yeah. vilifying sort yeah. of language. Should spectators be kicked out of a stadium for that sort of thing? Absolutely they should. 12th man. Uh, I have a bit of a I'm, – I'm a bit um, ambivalent about it, to be honest. <laughs> I think, I think if, if there were like 10,000 spectators calling out you know, something rude like that, it but, would be a concern. But Adam Goods was, you know, near the sideline. That girl called out, you know, you, you know something yeah. terrible. I don't even want to repeat the words really, but it's a pretty racist, He's a vilifying big, thing. tough guy. Do, do you think? Should he let it worry him? Do you, well, what if you were sitting beside that person and that sort of stuff's being yelled at? If I was and, sitting and beside kept, the person, I don't know, maybe I would say something. So you don't think people should be kicked out of stadiums I, for racist Stuff. I don't know how. I mean, what about people booing? Like the other day, there was a there was a footballer who was being interviewed post match, and the crowd started booing him. Should they all be kicked out? Is that not just as bad, just as rude? That's nowhere near as rude, isn't it? No, if you're just booing somebody because a young you girl calling out monkey, it was a it was a stupid thing to say, but it was just a an immature. Okay. okay. Outburst. Well, I just read a comment about on Facebook in one of these threads and somebody said, if sports fans can be banned for racist or vilifying comments, then players must play by the same rules, was the mm. comment. And I thought that was an interesting angle that I hadn't heard yeah. elsewhere mentioned. So mm. we're gonna kick spirit. We're gonna kick we're gonna kick people out of the stands as spectators for saying ugly, insulting things. But yeah. we're gonna leave a footballer on the field who's well, saying this stuff. It's like what we were talking about before, the, the political material that office, work, office works refused yeah. to print, right? Yeah. If we, I mean, normally we, we draw the line at inciting violence, right? Mm. Okay. Um, did, did that young girl incite violence? No, but she wasn't subject to a, a penalty by society okay. i think where I, the point i'm trying to make mm. is that we 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 usually tolerate people's mm. freedom to say what they think up to the point of inciting violence i think we should use the same well well now what we say is it's not a crime but uh, you know if i was in a theater and some thug was just standing up and using just terrible sailor's language you know, you call the police and say that guy's a public nuisance. Get him out of here! Like public nuisance, yes. So it's like someone shouting fire in a theatre. It's okay. not an act of free speech. It's yeah. an act of public nuisance. Yeah. So and you do have them ejected because they're disturbing the peace. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a it's a difficult issue. Okay. 
So still on these, because we've got a few things that are kind of all related to this. Uh, I didn't tell you guys about this one. I've left some of this stuff so that you couldn't prepare. Great. <laughs> so, so I'm prepared, but you're not. <laughs> the game's um, rigged, Scott. It is. It yeah. is rigged, yes. <laughs> this, that's a rigged game. That's right. <laughs> okay. In, uh, in America, I think it was new, in New York, there was a, a writer, a novelist, was on the verge of releasing her debut novel, and she's facing a backlash after posting a picture on Twitter of a public transit worker eating on a train and she reported the woman to her boss. So, so this lady has got a, has uh, just written a novel, it's about to be published soon. And she's on the, on the subway and sees a transit worker eating, which you're not allowed to do, takes a photo and refers her to her, to the boss of the transit authority which could cause that person to lose their job because mm. right so the publishing house distributing her novel dropped her and the publisher has delayed the planned release of the book people were upset that ms tynes who is jordanian american and calls herself a minority writer would shame a black woman and possibly cause her to lose her job so 12th man <laughs> Can a publishing house distributing her novel or a publisher delay the planned release of a book because of an entirely unrelated event um, where she's just showing herself to be an asshole? Jesus. There's a lot of assholes out there. <laughs> Should they all lose their jobs? These are because such great somebody moral takes quandaries, offense? aren't they? Huh? So if you were, you know, can the publishing house say, well, we're going to have to. Put you on the back burner now because of this conduct. It's well, un- I think you. I think you. I think you're right. You, you, she is an asshole. <sighs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> at what point do we draw the line? You know, I mean, yeah. What if you were an aspiring writer and uh, you know somebody? Saw you sort of knock over your neighbour's wheelie bin and, and didn't bother picking it up and <laughs> shoveling the garbage back in, and someone reported you to your employer and you got fired. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of assholes out there. We, you know, none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it but was the, a the pretty, problem for the publishing house is that there was, was a, a huge, up, huge uproar over this issue. Yeah. So then they were facing an economic risk because oh, because now this woman is. Publicly outed, publicly outed as an asshole. Mm. We don't. We may not sell the fifty thousand books we were going to publish now because of what she's just done. Oh, I see. So, so people so, wouldn't buy the book. Yeah, because it would, you know, quite well known. So can the publishing house then go? Well, you've kind of shut in your own nest now. Yes. We can't make money publishing this book, so we're going to hold off and just see how the dust settles on this. I like, suppose. That's a kind of understandable business decision. Is well, it a moral decision? Or would is it rugby just union Australia business? be facing the same situation because they're saying to Israel Fadalau, well, really, you've now caused a problem where we're not really going to make the money we thought we were going to make because of what you've just done. So, so why, we're, why, we're, why aren't they honest? Why aren't they more honest and say it's not what you said, it's, it's the loss of revenue you've caused us? Yeah, but if, well, let's say I'm in charge of rugby union in Australia and I am honest Trev in, in charge <laughs> of, of yeah, um, <laughs> what, and said, well, you've now, because you've done this in the same way as the novelist 
presenting itself as an asshole. It's, mm. you know, I'm sorry, Israel, but you've now exposed yourself as an asshole, which now means that we're not going to make the money that we thought we we're going to make from you. So we have to, yeah, terminate contract because you're now soil goods. Same argument. Mm. What do you think, Scott? I don't know. I agreed with Trevor there on the whole Israel Falal thing, but the other woman, yeah, you probably got to agree with the same. I suppose it comes down to a calculation as to the um, whether or not they honestly believe that they're going to end up losing money on her. And I think if if they can genuinely say that they're going to lose money on her, then I think they've got no choice but to terminate the contract. Mm. Interesting stuff. It is very interesting. Mm. You know, I don't know what the right answer is. Right. One more final moral quandary still on this <laughs> Stop looking at your watch, Dwarf Man. Come Sorry, on. Mrs. Fist. <laughs> while we're on the, while we're on a roll of moral quandaries, and and by the way, you know when we're talking about whether these episodes are too long or too short, we got a message from Watley, who said, "Fist, glove, man, and guess." Um, a good episode, but too short. The Wingers, who only want an hour, are denying themselves. They probably also go on special paleo diets and self-flagellate. <laughs> I stand with those who like a long episode. Time constraints reduce the freedom of the discussion and test the ability of the man and glove to deal with the devil's fist. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Watley. Well expressed, Watley. Yeah. yeah so, well done. Uh, so this is good where we are. Okay, final one, I think, on this sort of dilemma. <laughs> the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority, AHPRA, along with 16 national health boards, have released a statement warning health practitioners that they have a responsibility to the public to promote evidence that vaccines are safe and effective. The AFRA chief executive, Martin Fletcher, said he was concerned that some health practitioners, including doctors, nurses and chiropractors, were promoting anti-vaccination views on social media or in their practices, while much of the measles outbreak has been due to unknowingly under-vaccinated people travelling overseas and returning with the virus rather than due to deliberate anti-vaccination. Fletcher said medical professionals must not spread false information. Quote, we take seriously any case of practitioners spreading dangerous and misleading anti-vaccination information, including on social media. They will face regulatory action or prosecution. We are asking the public to tell us if their practitioner is doing this if you raise your concerns with us, we can investigate and protect others. Gentlemen. I have no problem with that at all because I'm very much an anti, anti-vax person. I do not like anti-vaxxers. So I've got no problem with it. If you've got someone out there who is selling shit science, then they deserve everything that's coming their way. What, what they deserve is they deserve public exposure. A doctor or a nurse uh, on their social doctor. media profile promotes some crazy anti-vaccination theory. They deserve, they deserve to have the book thrown at them. But should the health practitioner regulatory authority sanction them? Absolutely. Health man? I, th- I think public exposure is the better remedy because, I mean, what if, I mean, t- let's, let's go back to the days of Louis Pasteur. Now, when he came out with his theories, did any, 
you know, currently uh, working doctors of the time stand up and say, this guy's a heretic. He, you know, what his theories of uh, infection by these things he calls microbes, it's, you know, it's just nonsense. And he's, he's undermining, you know, hundreds of years of sound medical practice. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so hundreds of years of sound supernatural that's belief right. in been, the effectiveness of leeches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, I mean, what if the authorities of the day had shut him down because he was going against the um, the, the, the accumulated wisdom of of the years? I mean, I th- I still think there's a place for dissent. You know, mm-hmm. um, I know that. I mean, we all agree that scientific medicine works on the whole. Uh, for the betterment of humanity, and that people who come out with these crazy theories are probably misinformed, to mm. say the least. But they are dangerous. These they people. are dangerous and yeah. they do harm, as we yes. know. Yes. But so do preachers, for goodness sake. They do a lot of harm. And, yeah. and do our regulatory authorities shut them down? Mm. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I'm still a you know staunch advocate of free speech because mm. I think the uh, yeah. the benefit outweighs the harm on on if, on the whole. If I said to you that uh, a, a vaccine, an, an anti-vaxxer propagandist was going to come to Australia mm. and promote um, against vaccinating mm. and that statistically we could say that Ten one, people one will in, die. Or yeah, whatever. one in 10,000 people who hear yes. him or her will refuse to vaccinate and, and will, will die. Adversely and, affected. And you would say, well, that's just a risk that we take because of... Because the, the benefit of, of free speech yep. in the long run yep. outweighs the benefit of suppressing where, information. Whereas if I was to import a toaster from China and the electronics in it was slightly faulty such that we knew statistically that one in 10,000 was going to burn down a house mm. and the occupants in it, yeah. we'd never allow it in the country. It, but an object is a different thing, isn't yes. it? Yes. Well, this is my point. This, this is, is a saying, consumer is, good yeah. that, that has to pass safety regulations. Yes. So something that's going to potentially kill people on one yeah. hand is allowed in and on the other hand is Look, not allowed in. I think and, you have to differentiate because, between... Because one has the... Benefit of protecting free speech. I think you have to differentiate between goods, mm. manufactured goods, and ideas. Mm. Ideas should never be constrained unless they absolutely cause direct and immediate harm, like inciting violence. Mm. That's my position. There we go, libertarians out there. <laughs> the 12th man. <laughs> that was good. I, I enjoyed those conundrums. I could see you just slightly squirming, 12th man, as they coming Look, up, but you, you batted them away pretty well. <laughs> if somebody gets no notice, comes in cold on this, you did well. We, we all know that it's an imperfect world and, yeah. and no way that we choose is ever going to deliver a perfect result. Mm. So we yeah. have to choose the, you know, in the long run, what is going to deliver the, the best overall outcome. And I think mm. free speech has that essential value in the long run of advancing our understanding of the world. Yeah. You were sort of quite critical of communism just earlier on in this oh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can I just remind you of some, some words? <laughs> Go ahead. Religious suffering is, at one and the same time, the expression of real suffering and a protest against real suffering. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, 
and the soul of a soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. Karl Marx. The abolition of religion as the illusionary happiness of the people is the demand for their real happiness. To call on them to give up their illusions about their condition is to call on them to give up a condition that requires illusions. The criticism of religion is, therefore, in embryo, the criticism of that veil of tears of which religion is the halo. It's very poetic, but I think Karl Marx um, really... He had some great anti-religious stuff to say. Yeah, but, but what he was saying was that yeah, even, it's the opium a... of the people and that you need to... Um, if they're going to give up those let illusions, them have a bit they of have opium. to recognise their condition. Is that, was he really saying let them have their opium or was he saying that ultimately it's a, it's, it's a bad thing for them? I think he was saying ultimately it's a bad thing for them. But, yes. you know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Karl Marx, even a stopped clock is, is right twice a day. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, he got it right there, but that was about it. So. <laughs> More. We need to do a podcast on capitalism and communism. <laughs> Have you ever read Marx? Uh, yes, I'm halfway through. Uh, I've got it here somewhere. It's not, you know, uh, what is it? What's his name? Das Kapital. Manifesto no, uh, and Das Kapital. Yeah, the Communist Manifesto is only very short. It's only. Oh, really? Yeah. So mm. I've got that and I've got Adam Smith. Adam Smith came out with some. It, when you actually read their words, Adam Smith really came out with things that foresaw he the problems in capitalism. Well ahead of his time. So, Scott's so, a big fan of Adam Smith. Absolutely. But he really could foresee the problems of absolutely capitalism. Absolutely he was. And, and that's warned against and, them. and that's he warned against them. He said that yeah. you've got to have a well regulated market and all that sort of thing. And yet the modern capitalists now have turned their back on him. Yeah, yeah they have. So yeah. um we'll do you get think to that. do you suppose Donald Trump has read um, Adam Smith? <laughs> I doubt he has read anything longer than, you know, where the wild things are. Well, you know, where the wild things are is probably the only book he's ever read. So, and yeah. he probably struggled to get to the last page. Absolutely. Think, so. Well, by the time we meet next, I suspect that Australia will have taken one more step towards communism. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's how it'll be described. That's how it'll be described. That's yeah. how it'll be described by Right Wing Tony. Mm. Uh, well, I'll be having dinner with on election night. Commissar so, Shorten so I hope to have dictator. I'll have some exactly. I'll have some recordings from right wing Tony, perhaps, and we will review the election and we will uh, try and decide what does that mean for our fair country. Well, uh, I, I, I we'll have to wait and see what the Senate looks like. Yes, I think we can all agree there will be some good news and some bad news. Yeah, whichever absolutely. way it goes. By the way, I hope. I've got to mention, you were talking about Tony Abbott before yeah. we started recording. I, I really hope, hope he loses that no, seat in Moringa. we want Tony Abbott to win. Why? Can you imagine the chaos he will cause as one of the sole survivors <laughs> in the Liberal Party? Yes. He will tear it apart. Exactly. They haven't been <laughs> properly torn apart yet. We need Abbott to survive and to be one of to the ringleaders. To Because <laughs> he will then say the reason we did so badly was we weren't right-wing enough. And he, he will he would. will attempt to grasp control, you know. And Morrison will be just booted out after a few months, and he has to win. I really want Abbott to win. I obviously want yeah. Labor to win overall, but I want Abbott to win his seat because of just <laughs> Scott. 
We will never be short of a topic you in this podcast. Are a very, very sick individual. <laughs> <laughs> Do you suspect he's a little bit evil? I think he's a little bit evil. Yes. Imagine the fun we'll have with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right, dear listener. Well, um, oh, good we luck. Just got to oh, mention our beer sponsors. Beer sponsors. Yeah, and other yeah, sponsors. Yeah. Um, we do have a very brand new beer sponsor, Captain Doomsday, and he asked us to review this beer because he said, and I quote, "Sorry, I just got to get my email up." This beer is actually from the Lucas Heights uh, nuclear power reactor. No, I don't think isn't so. It? It's a <laughs> good on you, Captain Doomsday. Captain Doomsday, uh, I'll be interested in hearing how they taste. I've never had them before. So, what he's talking about there is the Atomic Pale Ale from Cage Rose Brewing Company, and it was very good, Captain Doomsday. So, thank you very much. And next week he will be back with uh, Sapporo from uh, Zach. Uh, yes, Zach has come on board as a sponsor as well. Absolutely. Actually, we should mention. Do you see that, see that guy outside the window with the grey hair again? Just hang on. If we just stay quiet for a minute. Scientists have recently discovered that expat tribe members, listening to their musings from both far and wide, have been contributing to the group's well-being and habitat infrastructure through something called Patreon. Some for as little as $1 a podcast. It really is making a difference, and it's been observed to enrich the tribe as a whole, with contributing members experiencing measured dopamine spikes when new episodes are released, and even intermittent bouts of persistent smiling while listening. Ah, there seems to be movement again. If we listen carefully, we may be able to make out the discussion once more. Uh, he's gone. He's mumbling something. I didn't quite catch it. Mm. Look, uh, sponsors, uh, thank you, Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayno, Ayame, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robbie, Rod, Palais, Maddox Man, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Squeaky Wheel, Daniel, Harry, Gavin, Peter, Captain Doomsday, Aiden, Wheat Watcher, Nico, Andy, Murray, and a new patron, Melinda. Good on you, Melinda, for coming on board. Thank you for the supporters who do it outside of Patreon, namely Dean, Ken, who looks like Sammy J, was <laughs> the beneficiary, David, uh, Mark, and Mr. Anderson. And, um, yeah, to all the beer sponsors in the past, was Wayne, Landon, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Landon again, Caitlin, Zach, and now Captain Doomsday. Um, it is good if you contribute and help us out. Um, it's actually a really high proportion because we've only got about 300 listeners. To have sort of 40-odd people as patrons is actually, in podcast terms, a really high proportion. It so is, yeah. Thank you for that. Where yeah. are you going to get – is it Sammy J? Sammy yeah. K? Sammy J. Sammy J. When are you getting him on the podcast? Love to. Yes. So, Sammy J. Mm, he we're was reaching the, out to you. Oh, well, we'll have to contact him directly. He's very funny, isn't he? Yeah, he is good. Mm. So um, – Right, dear listener. Well, that's enough. Um, Mrs. Fist will be very Just angry. What, I know. Watley's go. happy. We're still going. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we do go, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are not members of Humanist Society Queensland, I, I'd ask you to become a member because on the 26th of May 2019, we have our annual general meeting and I'm standing as the treasurer for the organisation. Oh, so, good on you, Scott. Yeah, thank you very much. Ah, so okay. I'm appealing to those Regular listeners who are members of Humanist Society Queensland, and that includes Anne and Craig, 
please make sure you're at the meeting on the 26th of the 5th to vote for me. Right. Mm. Anne was actually on the news tonight. Was she? Yes. I only got in halfway, but it was an article about um, mental health and the Clive Berghofer Institute oh, and okay, the work gotcha. that her sons, yeah. I think, had done in raising money and yeah. stuff like that. So check out iView Catch Up. On the ABC Maybe. News, was it? Yeah, maybe it was Channel 7, actually. Okay. Go to Channel 7. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or talk to Anne and you'll find out where she was on, but she was on the news tonight. No worries. Yeah. Good on you, Anne. Well done. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we've really dragged it on. Um, Watley and Woz will be happy. Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Fist will not. Uh, and, you know, well, Landon might, might call off the thugs coming around to give you special needs surgery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been good fun. Right. Until next week. Bye for now. Cheers. Thank you very much bye, for listening. Everyone. listener did you enjoy that episode of the podcast if you did i've got a favor to ask Uh, first up tell some friends let them know about the podcast you'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something i've said and when you're talking to your friends say hey i heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to and maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do 
maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.